Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Startup Sales. Today we're going to be speaking with Sean and Sean is from Flockjoy and it's really amazing uh, episode today. We're going to be speaking about hiring SDRs and account executives, uh, training them, how should you train them and even before that knowing who to hire. Do you hire the S an SDR? Do you hire account executive or even a VP sales? So we're going to discuss all this uh, and it's He's really insightful, really knows his stuff because actually that's what his company does is train, uh, train salespeople. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Uh, I want to speak to all the uh, early stage startups that are out there that are listening to this. And I know uh, in the early stages, it's very hard to understand uh, how to get your pricing right, what to price it at, what kind of model to use, or even how to run phone calls and demos so that you're getting that momentum forward in the sales process to writing sales emails, automation, and even hiring out a team. And that's kind of why we put this uh, whole podcast together is to give you hints and help you help you through this process. But we've also developed a boot camp here at uh, Startup Sales that's for B2B startups uh, between the C to, to Series A round uh, with a transaction size of over $500 monthly. Uh, and what we cover in this boot camp is, is all this in-depth uh, in-depth building of your sales process uh, from how to run the phone calls, getting the right pricing, putting the automation together, writing the sales emails, uh, and, and hiring the right team for your business. So if you're interested in that, head on over to startupsales.io and we look forward to talking to you. Let's get to today's episode. Hey, Sean, thanks for joining us. Adam, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have you here. Um, you know, I've I know, I, we talked before and a little bit about your, your history and what your background is, but can you give uh, everybody listening a, a little background about you and why they should hear, hear what you have to say? Absolutely. First and foremost, as I mentioned, thanks for having me on your podcast. I think it's a great resource for startups who are looking to scale and figure out this whole sales thing. So uh, <laughs> you, you and I are both aligned. As far as me and us and, and why you know, we feel we're an authority in, in this space, uh, first and foremost, we've built and scaled sales teams ourselves. So we were the first AEs at Intercom and built and scaled their entire inbound and outbound sales team from zero to 100, worked at companies like Dropbox and Box and Google. The second is we actually support companies like Airtable and Gusto and uh, help them find the best sales reps in town. And the third reason you should listen to me is I was looking at the top performing episodes in startup sales at IO, and it's a bunch of really smart white guys with various degrees of <laughs> receding hairlines. And so it's good to have a different perspective with cognitive and identity diversity. And I'm here to share more about how that diversity actually leads to more productive sales teams at companies like Gusto and Airtable. Great. I'm uh, looking forward to it. But in, in our defense, we, we did have another Indian, uh, Ganesh, I think his name was. Really smart guy. Really knew, knew his stuff as well. I hope to join him. So take a listen to his uh, episode as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. Good. Um, 
So uh, I have a question about your experience. Uh, it, it sounds like all of it was more based on the transactional uh, kind of sales cycle. Is that true? Well, we've seen a bit of both. And I think in working with companies as we support them in scaling their sales teams, we've seen a whole range of different kinds of sales cycles. So for example, launch darkly selling DevOps feature flagging software, very different than selling high velocity cloud storage for box, right? And with that comes a different approach to hiring, a different approach to training, and a different approach to what you're actually looking for talent-wise. And we've been able to collect a lot of data uh, from those companies to see what are the kinds of traits that help people succeed. Okay. So, and when you say when you're hiring, are you, are you discussing like anybody in the sales process or only SDR, AE? For now, we're focusing on SDRs and AEs because they become the future leaders of these organizations. And of course, you want to find people who can go from SMB to mid-market, mid-market to enterprise. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about how those transitions happen as well. Okay. So you said on you have a lot of uh, transactional, a lot of more like long sales process. If you take one extreme to the other, what's one thing you should be looking at for uh, SDR and one thing you should be looking at for an AE for both sides? Sure. So let's start on the transactional side of things. High velocity, you know, you're able to connect with a, a, a pretty robust top of funnel and you want SDRs who, as you might suspect, are able to be extremely, extremely conscientious and organized with how they're structuring their day and uh, a huge amount of discipline in terms of what that you know, process looks like. And so I'm not sure if it's exactly transactional, but a great example is SalesLoft. And uh, one of the things SalesLoft does, in addition to outreach, is uh, they're able to not only get in front of their target buyers, the best SDRs, but they're also able to be thoughtful about balancing how much time in the day they're spending prospecting, how much they're spending on calls, and how much they're spending as a thought leader creating content um, and using channels like LinkedIn to actually talk about the pain points that their customers are experiencing and ones that you know, you're solving as well with your company. Interesting. So I want to get back into that because you're saying that they're as SDRs are becoming thought leaders. And I think that's really important. But I want to go to then what's on the other side, what do you find? Yeah. So on the more visionary, longer cycle enterprise sales, I think a lot of that piece of the equation uh, feeds into the fact of really having a really good industry mapping and buyer persona mapping of how can I get really good at disqualifying uh, in addition to qualifying? Because I think so much of sales, there's an emphasis on the qualifying to make the sale, but especially in longer cycle sales, your opportunity cost of wasting time on deals that won't go anywhere is far greater because you can't keep turning the funnel uh, and getting more leads. So for me, I look for SDRs who are really attuned to asking really thoughtful questions, well-researched questions, and moving on to the next ones because you want to spend time on the five deals in a quarter that are going to help you hit your number. I, I am so happy you said that. Uh, <laughs> this is something that I I struggle so much with when I'm working with founders is to to show them that you have to be able to disqualify quickly on this longer sales process, not on the transactional side. You have to be able to say like quickly be able to tell like they're not relevant. They have maybe a less than 5% chance of closing. Bye. Exactly. And it, and it takes a certain degree of conviction and confidence and discomfort to say that because you're wired as a human to keep pursuing and pulling a thread. And so yeah. walking away is the most powerful thing you can do. 
it's, you know, but it, it's so hard because, and I, and I feel it, you know, I know, I know the feeling that most of these founders are getting, cause it's like, well, I don't care. I don't have anything else right now. I need to be work getting any deal I can. What would you say to them? Yeah, I would say a good way to reconcile that feeling is to think about something that you can understand better, which might be even hiring for your company. The best employees who come eventually work for you aren't necessarily applying to you inbound. They're actually the ones you find outbound. The quality of inbound leads is what you have today, and it's what you have been selected into. So you have no perspective on the quality of them other than they're probably the lowest hanging fruit, but may not be the best thing for your business. The outbound candidates who you're looking to recruit on your team to join, to build your enterprise sales organization, they're the ones you hunt, you nurture, you engage with, who you actually have targeted to do the thing that you want them to do. And sales is very similar. So you have to be super thoughtful about the ones that are coming to you that seem like these siren songs actually may not be the best for your business. And that's a mental mind shift. Yeah, that's that's another thing. They may be not they may be semi-qualified and like they're coming and waving money in front of you but you still may not want them because they're going to drain more resources be less profitable and yeah kill and maybe you'll sell them two seats right and so your ability to land and expand is just limited and so you always need to be thinking about two or three or five steps ahead and working that into your calculations of pipeline yeah absolutely all right so let's talk back about time management uh, for, for SDRs, but I think this is good for also for founders, uh, when taking the sales role, I mean, I guess for any role, but in specifically the sales role, you said that, you know, in prospecting inbound, outbound, actually working on the sales in the pipeline and also becoming a thought leader. Why becoming a thought leader? It's one of the best investments you can make because it is the lowest acquisition cost selling you can do, but it takes a while to build up and you have a unique expertise as a founder because you live and breathe presumably what you're building and what you're solving for. And you're continuously getting input from the market on how that problem is changing and evolving. And so once you start speaking about this publicly and having webinars and having videos and engaging with other thought leaders and promoting their content, you may feel short-term, not optimized, but medium-term, you will start to see your funnel turn and you'll get back to what we were just talking about in attracting higher quality leads that then come to your door. And so you improve the quality of both your inbound and your ability to do outbound as well. So I think it's a very overlooked piece of this and just conveys a much lower cost, long-term acquisition strategy for your sales organization. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to note when you're going to implement this, I don't want to turn this into a how-to, but don't sell. Yes. When you're going to become a thought leader, don't go out there and say, hey, guys, we're, we have a great product with X, Y, and Z features. Don't do that. Your temptation as a founder and even as a salesperson is to end every interesting insight you have with come talk to me and come talk to FlockJ, right? And I'm here to say no, like you're actually there to share knowledge with the world and start conversations and then create a, a pull of gravity that then gets people to your door that you can then disqualify and say no to. And that gives you more power and influence and ability to help others. Absolutely. And, and it helps put, you know, makes you stand out against your competition because when you're out there and you're making these posts, these potential buyers are actually starting to build a relationship with you and your company. 
And even though they never talk to you, they, they, that relationship is, is being created and they don't have that with your competition. So when it's time to go head to head, they're already leaning your direction anyways. You as a podcast creator invest a lot of time and energy to get real and authentic content in which you do very little sales for your business. And that attracts a pretty loyal following who tunes in regularly to hear who the next guest like me might be. And then hopefully creates an aura around, hey, Adam is a guy that I really should be talking to and reaching out to. Let, let's go check out his website. What does he do? And that starts yeah. the right kind of conversation. Absolutely. Great. Let's get back into the SDR world. Absolutely. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what are you doing at Flockjoy Flock without you know, being too salesy. <laughs> Absolutely. So at Blockchain, we solve the pain that most founders feel when they feel like their business is just es es achieving that escape velocity. And that pain, by the way, lasts right up until the point where you're Series D, E, and IPOing. It's that everything is fine, but everything is burning. And we need more people with more creative uh, intuition, talent, grit, hustle in the organization who are already trained, who are already certified, who already know Salesforce, who can jump in and just give me leverage as a founder, get me more calls, get me more opportunities, get me more qualified um, uh, uh, calls that I can engage with. So at Flockshow, we, we create those opportunities for founders and we provide those sales reps to companies like Gusto, like Airtable, so they can succeed. So is it outsourced or are you like just pre-training? We're pre-training. So the idea is there's all this talent outside of our bubbles in Silicon Valley and New York and Israel, like all the different hubs in and around the world. It's really hard to recruit that trained and certified sales talent. But there is all this hunger to be a part of tech and folks who have sold and been amazing at their jobs in fields like insurance sales or finance sales or even teachers. And so we say, hey, you can be a part of tech too. We're going to invest our time, our energy, our experience in building these sales teams, get you the single best curriculum in sales out there, continuously support you and connect you to the companies that, uh, that you serve, Adam, in your network. Wow, that's, uh, that's I'm really against outsourcing. So I think this is a terrific uh, solution because you get the best, best of both worlds. Yeah, I think outsourcing, as someone who's built teams and, and we spent a lot of time experiencing this pain ourselves, outsourcing means you don't own the customer conversation. You know, the salespeople are the tires on the road for your Ferrari. Most people think the most important part of a Ferrari is the engine. To me, it's actually the tires because yeah. the tires are the ones hitting the road every day. And if you don't own those tires, if you don't invest in those tires, then how can you expect to move at light speed? Yeah, that's a good analogy. All right. So let's say I'm a founder and I've just got a, a new SDR, new AE team loaded up. Where do I begin with training? But what do I start with? Where do I go? Yeah. First and foremost, even before you get to the training, I think Mark Roberge said this on um, either your podcast or in the sales acceleration formula, which is one of my favorite books is you don't want to hire a bunch at once. You want to hire, learn, hire, learn, hire, learn. And so it's as much about how you're training as it is about learning from what that first rep or two reps or 10 reps is like. Um, in order to actually train them effectively day one, you've either established product market fit or you're still in the process of discovering what product market fit looks like and you will be for years. 
And so I think of it less as a discrete two-week boot camp when you're training someone who joined your company and more as a set of conversations to figure out what is the superpower of this person I just hired? How does it map to what I know about product market fit? And how do I match those two things together? And so some of that involves qualifying them and understanding what their, you know, their strengths are. Some people might be really good time management reps. Some people might be really good thought leader reps. Some people might be really good at disqualifying. And once you find those things, you can start tailoring your training to both the fit of your product and their abilities. Yeah, I, uh, I really like that, especially because you're playing off their their strengths instead of looking for their weaknesses and, and trying to fill the holes. Uh, I always tell people that, you know, when you're hiring, don't hire somebody that's like you. Like yeah. there's nobody like you, you, you do, you let them do them. Because if you try to force them to d follow your pattern, it won't work. It won't be authentic. Yeah. The best reps aren't necessarily the ones who write the best scripts or do the most follow-up. It's actually the ones with cognitive ingenuity who come to you with a new idea on how to prospect for leads or how to qualify for leads or want to manage up and be engaged in that conversation, especially for startups. And that's a very different skill set to train for to identify than it is once you are 100 or 200 employees and you want to just feed more people into that machine. So as you evolve, how that training looks, how that sourcing of your SDR looks is going to evolve too. But especially in the Series A, B stage, that's where I would focus. Good. So what's the difference between like an AE and an SDR? And why, why would I want to choose one versus the other at a very early stage? Yeah, that's a great question. I think oftentimes startups make the mistake of either hiring an SDR too early and they assume that the SDR is also going to write the playbook, is also going to run the demo, is also going to close the deal and take this huge load off your plate as a founder when really you need an AE who can think creatively, can do a lot of listening, who has context for what conversations like this usually feel like. Um, and have a better and a more refined intuition than someone who has an SDR is really great at the qualifying and disqualifying process, but may not have that context and experience uh, in having the, the, the toolkit to identify where in a demo call things are going well and aren't going well. So to me, it's, as a founder, being realistic about what you're solving for. If you want to keep doing the sales as a founder and keep closing, an SDR can give you tremendous leverage in getting more qualified opportunities on your plate and you spending your time better. If you want to empower someone to actually take off your plate, some of the closing, some of the negotiating, so on and so forth, I would, I would definitely step up for that AE, but I would not step up for the seasoned VP of sales who's, you know, run 50 person teams. That's the worst thing you can do at this stage. You think it will solve all your problems. But frankly, she or he hasn't sold themselves in probably five years. Yeah, I, I always tell people that, you know, you got to look at what you actually need. In a VP, what does a VP do? What is a VP good at? They may be amazing and the best VPs in the world, but that, that's not what role and position you need at the time. Yeah, it's something you realize as a founder, there's this painful realization because every founder wants to be an individual contributor for as long as possible. But you soon realize that your job becomes getting more leverage about pe from people and your team than it is about you actually doing the building. And that occurs when things are breaking in a very good way. 
It's very similar when you're thinking about hiring for sales. If you go hire that VP of sales, you're actually hiring another person like you who wants to offload that onto more people. So it's not solving the thing you want to solve for. So find people who you can get leverage out of, who you can empower to succeed, who are at moments in their career where they comfort with ambiguity and context switching and the ability to, 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 to go from running a deal to qualifying, et cetera. I am Flockchain's best SDR. I do a lot of qualifying myself still, but I, I find more and more use of my time in empowering others on my team uh, to do their jobs better. How did you know it was time for you to switch from being the, the salesperson to hiring your first one or two people? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you know in your bones when things are breaking and you've spent enough time on the job uh, to have done it well. I think it's really important for founders to do most things themselves before offloading them, if possible, because you then have context and you have the ability to partner with whoever you are bringing on board to take on that capacity. Um, so you have at least some surface level understanding. And if you haven't done it yourself, go get smart on it so that you can hire the right person who maps to what you actually need. So you know when you need someone else when you've done it for a bit or, you, or you've done your homework, and things are breaking and your time is better spent elsewhere, empowering others or building other things in the company. Uh, yeah, I think it's really important to to do it yourself. I, I really agree with you there. So many times founders want to, oh, I'm not good at sales. I'm just going to hire somebody, <laughs> normally the VP kind. Yep. <laughs> and, yep. and then they get nowhere. Uh, and I tell them, you know, and you probably are, are the same way. It's like, you don't even know if you, what, who you're hiring is good or bad because you don't even know what the process is supposed to look like. So you don't know if they're, I mean, it's not that they're going to lie to you most of the time, but you don't know if what they're telling you is is the truth or just what vision they have, uh, what glasses they have on. It's especially acute in sales because if you think about it, the interview process for a job is sales. So your filter for being able to tell who's actually good, if you've never done it before, means that you're being sold to in that interview and odds are you're not getting what you actually need in your company. Yeah. Mark Ruberge's book is very good uh, for the sales hiring process as yeah. well. <laughs> as soon as I read that, I started implementing that. And and now I look back at because I kept track of each person that I interviewed. And I look back and I see the what went right, what went wrong, what I need to look for again. You know, and it's not just for your company, it's for that kind of sales process. And it's also for you. Like, do these kind of people work well with me or not? Which is hugely important. One of the best learnings from Mark's take on sales hiring is he's very skills oriented and quantitative in tracking those metrics. And is fairly background agnostic. Of course, referrals are a great network, but he's looking at things like curiosity coachability, prior success, work ethic, grit. And those don't really correlate to whether you went to Harvard or not. And that's the beauty of sales. You know, 80% of our reps are top quartile performers in their companies. Many of them don't have four-year college degrees. And that's really surprising once people hear it. But then it also makes sense that uh, it's more about those traits and tracking them really in a disciplined way in your interview process to surface that kind of talent who will unlock sales opportunity for you. Yeah. One of the things I always ask in a sales interview is what's, what's something that uh, you recently learned? And I don't care if it's something about a new plastic or if it's, I don't care what it is. It's that they are out there learning and always evolving themselves. 
Absolutely. The worst STR hires to me are your hiring robots who are uh, more or less uh, folks that you're training to do one thing really well because your market's changing, your product's changing, and so your people have to be able to change too. And so a lot of that curiosity you mentioned is really important because that then begets creativity and that unlocks potential for your business. Absolutely. I think in, if you're just training robots, you also, at the very early stage, it's so vital to get that feedback back from the sales team. I mean, that's why you should be doing the sales yourself at the beginning. But once you start to grow, that feedback is still hugely important. And you need the kind of person that's able to retrieve that and regurgitate it back to you properly. Absolutely. How do you, do you train, do you talk about that at all with your, the hires that you're training? Absolutely. We look at that both in who we admit to our program. So we're admitting 5% of folks who apply. And then we focus a lot on that having built sales organizations ourselves in our training. And so training uh, people to unlock their inner curiosity and creativity is far more difficult and involved than training people how to write emails and talk on the phone. And that, to me, is the secret sauce of a great sales rep and what we're trying to do at FlockJ. And a lot of that is bringing in SVPs of sales and SDR managers and folks who have done it and asking them questions just like you're asking me questions and starting to pull these threads out on how people are doing it. And so you can't be what you can't see. And I think that's really important for SDRs early in their career to have permission to succeed, be creative, be thoughtful, um, prospect. One of the questions that um, I heard a company ask an SDR in an interview is, is tell, tell me about me and see what kind of research that person has actually done on the interviewer. Is it just a LinkedIn you know, survey or were there more things that you did? So we constantly challenge our reps to be curious, to be creative. And we have ways of doing that by partnering with the best sales leaders in the industry. That's uh, one of the questions I love to ask is, and I'm surprised that over 50% of the candidates have never even looked up my LinkedIn. Oh, yeah. I'd say it's more than that. Yeah. And and <laughs> then sometimes when I ask that question, they'll think it's actually a and me looking for compliments. So they start complimenting <laughs> me on my interview skills and stuff like that. It's like, that's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So you said it's not about training emails and how to do phone calls and stuff. Are you training this? Absolutely. These are foundational skills. And as you have sales engagement tools like Sales Loft and Outreach continue to raise the bar in what interactions and reach look like, it's more and more important to preserve what it means to be human in those interactions. If you just think about the way in which SaaS is going, the barriers to entry to you and I starting a SaaS business have never been lower, which means the competition for services solving the same problem has never been higher which means the SDR and the AE and their worth is actually higher, not lower, because they need to be able to be excellent communicators, human communicators, contextual communicators, but also really efficient ones using all these tools, because every year there are new tools. Um, if there's clear bit one year, there's something else the, the next year. And being able to use all these different tools without um, automating away the most important part of transacting We've been transacting like this as humans for tens of thousands of years, right? Go to market isn't new. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the things that will still be uh, the most important skill to have, especially as, as, as machine learning and AI take over a lot of other sort of like mid-level jobs. 
And that's what we teach is how to be human communicators, contextual communicators, thoughtful communicators. And that involves conducting good phone calls, good emails, asking thoughtful questions uh, and listening. Yeah. All right. Um, but like, do you actually like test them on the, on their emails? Like, do you actually have them? How are you? How are you training them on the emails? They are writing all the time. They're on the phone all the time. And there's no way to learn in this job without doing the job. I think that's yeah. something you probably tell all your startups is that uh, if you're going to hire people, they're going to learn in the first 90 days on their job. And that's okay. They have permission to fail. And so we're actively giving them feedback on every email they're writing, every call they're placing. And they're even doing real selling uh, in and around the program so that you're getting someone who's done it before. How long does it take uh, before they're actually on the phone selling? We get them on the phone and talking to each other day two. I love it. So many times I hear like, oh, <laughs> after two weeks, three weeks, there's no better way to practice than to just get on the phone and do it. Like, okay. Exactly. So Got to build may, the muscle. Exactly. You may burn a few bridges, but like to, to role play in between you and, and the wall or you and somebody else in the office, it's not real. It's not even close to real. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I think Sam Nelson at Outreach had this post where he has his reps pretend to sell pizza to prospects and he just gets people to say, hey, here's a free pizza that I want to deliver. And that's just a great way to get people on the phone talking uh, to other people. And it's great. I would want a free pizza as well. But I think there's so much power to hearing the dial tone, hearing the ring, seeing someone pick up and getting into it uh, because the rest is, as you mentioned, it's just uh, it's just role play. Yeah. And, and just, you know, understanding that the fear is not real, like, like uh -huh. the fear is real, but the reason behind it is not real. Like at the end of the day, the, the person on the other line is also a human being. Absolutely. And they have wants and they have needs and they're actively doing research to try to make their jobs easier. And you're, you know, you're there to help. And, and there's a lot of gratitude in that conversation. Like they should be grateful that you have this great solution and that empowers your confidence and your consultative nature and your ability to solve problems. Exactly. Because like we were saying earlier, we're not there to sell them. It's just the same as becoming a thought leader. You're not there to sell. Mm -hmm. You're there to coach and you're there to present and like show them that there's another way and ask good Absolutely. questions. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what's something that you've learned uh, along the way that you're finding that other founders are always tripping up with this? Yeah. When you say this, do you mean actually doing the sales yourself or hiring folks for the organization? Anything, what, anything around sales, what's something that you're finding that the founders are messing up with most, most of the time that you think should be flagged? I think this is something that salespeople learn quickly, but founders, it takes a little while to learn. There's an instinct to what I call show up and throw up, which is to immediately start what you feel is your pitch and just start talking. And I think something that I really like uh, when uh, speaking with folks who I'm either uh, trying to help solve a problem with or advising is getting comfortable with silence, getting comfortable with pauses. You don't have to fill every breath of air with a word. And that pause, that pregnant pause allows the person on the other end of the line to react, to give you more information about themselves that then allows you to have a conversation. So most founders, I think, rush into showing up and throwing up and pitching and don't embrace the pauses of conversation after asking good questions. 
I think that's huge. And don't be afraid to ask those good questions. Absolutely. And uh, even ask if, a, uh, yeah, ask a question and just stop talking. but make sure it's a good question like if you're afraid to ask it then it's a good question like oh you're with the competition how much are you paying (laughs) are you happy with them (laughs) i love that i love uncomfortable questions i think there is a degree of civility and propriety that is important but there's also a need to embrace direct and what may feel like difficult questions and the pauses that they produce. Yeah. So I think that's a great way of characterizing it is ask that question, ask the direct question, ask the question you know you want to ask that you're tempted to, to circle around and ask in a circuitous way. Just go for it. Yeah, and then sit straight. back. Yeah, and sit back and, and listen to the answer. It'll surprise you. Almost all the time, they will answer. Because if you come with that approach, and especially if you're very direct, you, you come as the consultant. You come as, hey, I need to know in order to help you. And so yes. you're not going to, like, you come with that attitude, they're going to tell you. It's interesting because founders uh, are victims of this on the other side a lot of times when they're raising money. Mm-hmm. VCs will just ask them really direct questions about their business, which you would think should give you pause as a founder as being very invasive questions but you land up answering them a lot of the times because you perceive them to be in a position to help you and you need their services. And so if you've been a victim of that on that side, embrace that feeling and channel it towards how you conduct uh, conversations and businesses with folks uh, on the other side. Yeah. Take it, be on take yourself out of the conversation and actually think like, how would I perceive this if I was there and not being emotional about it? Like think about like actual situations where you've been in, especially fundraising, where you've been put in that situation. You just, you answer the question, you're having a conversation. If, exactly. if, if they come back and they're like, oh, I don't want to answer that, or they start being weird about it. Well, the chances are one of two things. I mean, one of three things, I guess there's a small chance that they really just don't want to answer it. Uh, and that's okay. But more often than not, it's because you haven't built enough rapport or you asked in a, a circle way. You didn't ask directly. Yeah. And the other thing I'd add to that, and this is something I see founders doing, that's an easy fix is when you ask those questions, it's tempting to ask them in a yes, no fashion. Mm. And when you ask them in a yes, no fashion, it gives an easy no. But if you ask them in an open-ended fashion, then you really have to work cognitively to say no to your question. So it produces a more authentic um, answer that has more context that allows you to dig deeper. Absolutely. So instead of, instead of are you happy with, our, with, with your current provider, say, how is or why are you looking to change away from your current provider? Yeah. What goals has your current provider helped you achieve? That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. <laughs> and it's good for many reasons. One, because it will they're gonna start talking about why what they're not achieving automatically because exactly. people are more negative and that's really what you want to get to. But it mm-hmm. also sets you up so that you know that you could achieve those same benchmarks. Because if you can't achieve those same bench- benchmarks and you win their business, they're gonna churn right away. It helps you focus the conversation because that answer to that question immediately highlights pain and priorities. And to your point, they go negative pretty quickly and it allows them to be negative without you being negative. Yeah. 
and and without you making assumptions as well. You should never exactly. assume it. Exactly. What's uh what's your number one sales tip that you give to new people? I think a lot of it is what we're discussing, which is embrace discomfort, embrace um, directness, and be curious. Uh, when you are genuinely curious about someone else's problem, you're not selling, you're supporting, you're empowering, you're conversing, and you're having a very fluid conversation. And that curiosity to me is what I see founders lose because in their mind, they're living and breathing their own solution, right? They're, they're, they're living and embracing their hammer, but spend more time thinking about the whole, like, why is there the crack in the wall and obsess about that? And that will get you farther, I think, than just focusing on the hammer you're building. Yeah. But how can you, how can you teach somebody to be curious? That's like a trait that's either you are or you're not. It is and it isn't. I would challenge that assumption because what is curiosity? It is being able to attune and build rapport and ask good questions and do research and be thoughtful and pause and all the things we've been talking about. I think people are naturally curious it's hard for them to communicate that, hey, my curiosity, if I were to really break it down, is a multi-factor equation of all the things you and I have just discussed. But if you take them piecewise, 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 you'll be surprised how people surprise you. And all of a sudden, they won't say they're curious, but you'll hear them on the phone and you'll feel really good about how interested they are in your business. And so I think to me, uh, breaking down the components of how a really good conversation feels on the other end uh, helps train for things like curiosity. Love it. What's, uh, what's your favorite book on sales or leadership? Yeah, so uh, I do like to sell as human for anyone who's never worked in sales because it's before all the theory and it gives you context for uh, how selling has changed. I mentioned the sales acceleration formula by Mark Roberge. If you're a founder, I think it is a essential piece of reading to wire your already quantitative mind to a field that is very qualitative and helps you go from point A to point B. And HubSpot has done incredible things in scaling its sales organization over the years. So those are two I recommend. And then solution selling, um, I think it's by Ed, Ed Ward. Um, but uh, that's another one that I, I have on my desk as well. Great. It, what is something that you're doing differently uh, in your training and working with sales that, that allows you to excel that other people aren't? I think a lot of people, generally speaking, view training as uh, open a video, press play. Uh, you know, And there's this one-to-many aspect of it because they're thinking about their own business. They're thinking about scaling. They're thinking about how do I do this for the most amount of people. And we're rewriting all of those assumptions and doing a lot more conversations like this with the people we're training, yeah. where we're actually getting hands-on, we're actually getting real context. We have real Salesforce licenses. We have licenses to the technical sales stack uh, that our students get to use and actually do the thing. And I think that's super important. That combined with empathy towards where people are coming from into this profession, most companies don't do a great job of letting their sales reps fall in love with sales because you show up, there's a phone, there's a list of leads in Salesforce <laughs> and you go and yeah. that's great, but you, you don't get to fall in love with this amazing profession of actually being able to support and empower and help businesses solve their problems. 
And we spend a lot of time nurturing that so that when you hire someone from FlockJ, you have someone who already loves to sell, who has that hunger, who's done it, and it's just waiting to be unleashed uh, on your on your customers and your world. How can, if any of the founders are here, want to reach out to you and, and learn more about FlockJ, how can they reach out to you? Hello at FlockJ.com. We respond very quickly. Um, and yeah, we get we get to to talk to amazing founders every day, everyone from the clear bits and air tables of the world to folks who've just um, you know raised funding and are thinking about hiring their first sales reps. Our conversations are as much about hiring as it is about helping you implement playbooks and things to get you ready to hire because we believe in paying it forward. So don't even hesitate if you aren't hiring for folks to reach out because like you, we're here to move the ecosystem forward. And since we've lived it in both our prior lives and our current life, we're very passionate about people just embracing how great sales can be and how it's changing. Great, Sean, I really appreciate you coming today. One last question is, what one piece of advice do you have for all the founders listening? I would say the biggest piece of advice I can, add, I can offer on this podcast is don't be afraid to reach out and manage up and get advice. So many of us as founders are self-starters, we're hustlers, we've been the best, we've been able to figure it out on our own, and we spin our wheels on problems that uh, we could otherwise get input from people like you on and other thoughts that we can then process and sit with. And I see this happen all the time. So you are more likely to feel like it's opportunity cost versus the time you should be spending running your business, but invest in that time, invest in the conversations to talk to smart people to get that advice, to process it, to weigh it against your own creative thoughts uh, and be an independent thinker. Great. Sean, thanks very much. Thank you, Adam. Really enjoyed this. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 